Gresham College presents Brazil, Order and Progress, an introduction by Professor Tim Connell. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Um, welcome to uh, today's symposium on the subject of Brazil. Um, curious, one of those countries that we are perfectly familiar with until we start looking at it in detail and then realise that there's an awful lot more to it than perhaps we realise. So why should we look at Brazil um, in particular, apart from the fact that it's the bee in the bricks? And we've now got on to mints and civets as well, so we have lots of opportunities for future Gresham College symposiums on uh, emerging countries. It is timely because it is a country economically, politically, coming very much to the fore, um, in the news because of the World Cup. I won't mention the final score for Brazil, but the World Cup. And thank you very much. One laugh from the front. S sense of gloom from everybody else, but never mind. Um, and of course, it's also a country which lends itself to stereotype, whether you have carnival, football, uh, caipirinha, cachaça, um, exotic animals from the Amazon and elsewhere. Um, it is a country that deserves study in greater detail. It lends itself to superlatives. Um, here we go, the world's fifth largest country. It covers an area larger than Western Europe, slightly bigger than the United States, if you exclude Alaska, ninth biggest economy in terms of GDP, and a population of around about 200 million, which makes it about the fifth largest in the world after China, India, the USA, and Indonesia. More than 80% of Brazilians are now urbanized, though you have approximately 450,000 um, indigenous populations, some in Sao Paulo, um, addressing the Brazilian Congress there. In the, sorry, in Brasilia. <gasps> How can I say this? Addressing Congress in the back, and, of course, people in the front um, staying with uh, modern developments. Um, greater biodiversity, I would think, than anywhere else in the world. The Amazon, most of which lies inside Brazil, is the longest river in the world, 90 miles longer than the Nile, and I've been down both of them, so I won't be contradicted. Um, Brazil, the world's largest exporter of, here we go, sugar, coffee, orange juice, soya, beef, tobacco, and chicken. In terms of uh, agriculture, the Financial Times describes it as a powerhouse whose size and efficiency few competitors can match. Some of us might hesitate over the word efficiency, but there's absolutely no doubt there's an awful lot of it, um, especially coffee. Um, it's a country, of course, with a long-standing nuclear industry um, because it has major deposits of uranium. Tenth largest consumer of energy uh, in the world, um, third largest in the Americas after American Canada. Um, it has enormous hydroelectric power and even greater potential. This is the dam at Itaipu. I've never seen so much water in my life. It's absolutely astonishing. Well worth a visit. Now, it has one-fifth of the world's fresh water. Great. The northeast of Brazil is notorious for its lengthy droughts, and the Sertão and the Sertanejos have gone into Brazilian folklore as people who survived in um, a highly hostile environment, and talking of which, there's a massive drought going on in Sao Paulo at the moment. Um, despite these perennial um, problems, the Brazilians always come bouncing back. <coughs> they always say Brazil is the country of the future, and someone at the back of the audience always says, yes, but it always will be. We have all sorts of problems that need to be faced. Dilma Rousseff, Brazil's first woman president, <coughs> came to power 2011, 
56% of the vote. She's facing increasing criticism over scandals <coughs> involving the state oil company of Petrobras in particular. She and a lot of associates. Um, sorry. <coughs> I do make a pardon. <coughs> Many of her associates have been involved in the so-called Menthalau scandal, whereby <coughs> people up to and including the past president, um, Inácio Lula da Silva, are being accused of diverting money from the oil company into political parties and, of course, into their own pockets. The Truth Commission, which... Anthony was talking about only last night at Canning House, I believe, um, set up in 2011 to investigate the <coughs> abuses which took place under the military government between 1964 and 1985. It's bound to cause embarrassment. The economy slowing down from a high point of 7 or 8% to a tick over now. Demonstrations against the perceived extravagance of the World Cup and the Olympics, um, particularly contrasting with calls for major improvements in public health and education, have also put pressure on the government. And things are hardly helped by the state of the water where the Olympic aquatic events are due to be held. The virtual warfare between police and drug barons in the favelas is also a worry. The Daily Telegraph, that well-known left-wing rag, last week reported that some 42,000 people were killed in shootouts with the police last year. Enormous steps have been taken to protect the flora, fauna and environment of the Amazon basin, but Brazil did not support the recent UN proposals to outlaw massive deforestation. And yet talks are ongoing with China. China's premier is doing a tour of South America this week to build a railway from a new port, a place called Asu, just above Rio, right the way across probably coming out of the Peruvian port of Tacna and therefore going through major, major nature reserves which will have a major impact inevitably on the ecology and the environment. So it is a complex picture which is why we're having a symposium rather than just a one-off lecture. Let's start off a bit further back. Where did Brazil actually come from as far as the um, globe is concerned? During the age of European expansion, possible conflict between Portugal and Spain, and the Pope, um, who happened to be a Spaniard, drew a line down the map of the world, and he said, right, to the east is Portugal, to the uh, west is Spain, Treaty of Tordesillas, 1494, you will recall, and um, this was all very well, but it was all a bit mixed up. Columbus, when he comes back from his first voyage, actually lands at Lisbon and goes on to Seville. Magellan, we all know Ferdinand Magellan, his mother called him Fernandes Magalhães because, of course, he was Portuguese. Um, he was sailing around the world, actually, at the behest of the King of Spain. And when one of his ships arrived um, in uh, Portuguese territory, in fact, they were arrested. Now, King Joel II of Portugal might have felt short-changed because the kind of wealth that was revealed in Mexico and Peru suggested he didn't get the best part of it. But little did he realise that that strip of coastline, you look at these early maps, very small strip of coastline there uh, in the modern state of Bahia, up in the top right-hand corner, would eventually give Portugal control of a massive empire, which ironically, after the wars of independence, would turn around the other way so that Brazil, in many ways, was controlling Portugal. 
Um, Brazil became a prosperous colony, much along the lines of um, other colonies in Spanish America, based on sugar. Um, at one end, iron ore, diamonds, and in particular gold at the other, massively important to the economy of Europe at the time. And of course, <coughs> the plantations and the mines were worked by the four million or so slaves who were brought over from Africa. Now, the experience of colonial Brazil um, diverges um, at the beginning of the period of independence because, unlike the uh, Spanish experience, there is not actually a war to gain independence. The Grito do Ipiranga, um, I think people in Brazil thought it was by and large a good idea, largely because there was a war going on in the peninsula. The Royal Navy kindly takes the Portuguese royal family to Brazil, and um, this leads to the creation of an empire. Brazil, as I say, effectively the senior partner, and that changes radically with the abolition of slavery in 1888. It's one of those easy dates to remember and critical because the following year the monarchy collapses because of the impact on the economy of the abolition of slavery. Now, Brazil underwent various interesting political phases. Um, we do tend to have this kind of um, broad overview that somehow Latin America is um, sort of doomed to be controlled by dictatorships and general nastiness. In fact, Brazil goes through a whole series of very interesting experiments. You have the old republic up to the First World War. Um, you have the corporatist state under Getulio Vargas here um, in the 1930s and 40s. The distressing period of military dictatorship, which I've mentioned, from 1964 to 85. And then what is sometimes called the uh, new republic with a return uh, to democracy. So it's a fascinating place. Anyone interested in political theory, political history, you've got clientelismo, you've got colonialismo, the millenarian movements of the sort that Mario Vargas Llosa writes about in his Guerra del Fin del Mundo. Um, there's Antonio Conselliero looking like Rasputin over there on your left. And that was an event which took place in uh, 1897 where a group of people predicting the end of the world and who knows quite what actually held off three armies and actually won against two of them. Now, all of this is without even considering the historical mix of population with blacks, whites, every possible category in between, the Indian tribes of the Amazon and the Japanese population of Sao Paulo, which has actually only been there for about 100 years. So apart from politics, it's a fascinating country as far as society and sociology are concerned. In the far south, you have states like Rio Grande do Sul, where you have a predominantly white population. Though when you see towns with a name like New Hamburg, it rather gives them the game away. Uh, in the celebrated northeast, where the plantations were, you find very strong black culture, strong links with Africa. Um, you find those peculiar religious phenomena on one side, Candomblé and Macumba, and on the other side, of course, um, Capoeira. And these links are evident in the town of Olinda, which is actually a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And this leads me straight on to one of my personal heroes. This is Helder Camera, who's uh, Archbishop of Olinda and Recife, and I'm pleased to say he's up for beatification this year, which is highly appropriate because he's well known for the famous phrase, I feed the poor and they call me a saint. They, I ask why they're poor and they call me a communist. So the nice thing is, at least 40 years ago, he said people were calling him a saint, and I hope in a few years' time we'll call him that again. Um, however, there's a wonderful world we live in whereby an Argentinian pope is going to make a Brazilian a saint. 
And I can only say it's highly appropriate. Brazil doesn't have enough saints, but ladies and gentlemen, it has far too many sinners. Okay, <laughs> now, so we have a land of, land of contrast, possibly conflict, possibly contradiction, major modern economic power with a whole range of indicators to suggest serious levels of poverty. One of the countries which is set to become a world leader in many respects, yet seemingly incapable of resolving its own long-range internal problems. Some of the most sophisticated buildings in the world, and yet the Olympic sites are way behind schedule. Slums are still being cleared away to make space for them. In the national parks, you have national parks the size of Belgium, and at, at the same time, serious concern expressed about the future of the Amazon. A racially mixed society, but the higher you go up in social level, the whiter it becomes. A country with many, many 2,600 universities, but problems with primary and secondary education. I can now reveal. Um, in the recent global survey, Brazil came 61st out of 76 advanced countries as far as educational attainment was concerned amongst 15-year-olds. There is only one consolation. Brazil came 60, uh, Argentina came 66. So there we are. There's always an upside in most of these things. Now, um, I'd like to keep firm as a time if we may, so I'm delighted to introduce Maria Pagliars Burke. Um, it's always interesting for foreigners to talk about a country which they know and love and respect, but somehow there's always this question, have you got in under the skin of it? Do you really understand why people are the way they are? Can you really comprehend how it is that they think? And I'm sincerely hoping that Maria's going to be able to tell us. Thank you very much. For all information, please go to gresham.ac.uk.